right, but this morning we are coming to the end of the series in Ecclesiastes, and some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. I can feel it already. But, you know, wasn't this series just like that? Wasn't it a breath? Wasn't it fleeting? Wasn't it like we just were starting it a couple weeks ago and a couple moments ago, and now it's over? That's really what we've been hearing. Everything in life, what we've been taught through this book, it is here and gone. It is so brief. And that's not a cause for you know, sadness on our part. Understanding the brevity of life helps us put into perspective, right? Our work, our worries, our sense of achievement in the world, our perceived sense of gain. We've realized we really can't gain or keep anything in this world. But even as Ecclesiastes has taught us we can't gain and keep, it has encouraged us to grow, to grow in our understanding of what is truly significant in life. What really matters in this short experience? And, and we'll be able to cling on to that. That is, if we can remember the lessons that this book has taught us, if we can remember our condition that has been revealed here, and if we can remember our God, our Creator. That's going to be the call this morning in Ecclesiastes 12. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass one to you. We're going to be reading, starting here, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, all the way to the end. And the verses will be on the screens. Remember this invitation to remember our condition and remember our Creator. You'll hear it first verse right here. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless. A breath, a breath, a vapor, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring into judgment every deed, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So concludes Ecclesiastes. Remember, these first many verses say, remember your Creator in the days of your youth when you are young. Now, I want to clarify, just as Austin did last week so that we don't exclude anyone, 
youth is relative in this passage. You could be young, or maybe you're just the young at heart, of which we have many here in this community. The teacher's been telling us not to waste whatever vigor and energy you or I may possess on anxiety, on worries, on indecision. He's been calling us all throughout the book to really live, to really seize our lives. But as we grab life by the horns, we've got to remember Remember our Creator. Remember from where we came before the days of trouble arrive. Now, what are the days of trouble? Verse 1, when the years approach and you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Basically, there's a day coming when you're going to say, life stinks. And that's essentially what's described here in the next six verses. It's a series of descriptions that characterize those days of pleasureless trouble that are going to come for all of us. In those days, verse 2, the teacher says, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars will grow dim. In his description, I want to clarify, he's not saying creation itself is going to dim, but it's our perception of creation. It's our eyes that are going to feel like, you know, the slider on that dimmer switch is going down. That's the time when the clouds return after it's just rained. We're not talking the unbelievable perfect weather of this year. Okay, I mean, this is the most incredible winter weather I've ever experienced in my entire life. No, what he's describing is a time in our life that's more akin to the weather last year. The clouds rained, and then they went away, and they came right back, and they rained some more, and rained some more. When it rains, it pours. That's going to be a time in all of our life. That's the time when the keepers of the house start to tremble. It's sort of like if you've ever been anywhere like at the bank, and you see the security guard is like 95 years old. You guys ever see, you know, a really old security guard, and you're like, how is that person going to keep me safe, right? That, that's the kind of time that we're talking about. Remember your creator before you become frail, when the strong men start to stoop. And of course, we have supplements today to keep us from stooping, even as we get older. But I don't care how much testosterone you inject, you can't juice your muscles forever. You've got to remember your creator before aging takes its natural course. That's the time when the grinder at the mill ceases and the sound of grinding with it, meaning there's not going to be any more work, but not just no more work. There's not going to be any activity, period. Remember your creator, you could say, before the sound of someone teeing off ceases, before the day when there is no more golf or leisure in your life. That could be just as true to what's being said right here. Remember him before the doors are shut on the street and no one's looking through the window. The social life has ceased. It's gone from the buzz of night and day life to just solitude and silence. Remember him before the chirp of a bird makes you jump. That's how jumpy you are and their songs no longer serenade you. And I love the imagery, the grasshopper, it drags itself along. It's all imagery for verse five. When people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. To understand what the teacher is conveying here in these first six verses, I want you to think of the inverse, the opposite of what he describes. I mean, picture yourself waking up just like you did probably this morning, spry, you know, with all the energy and vigor in the world. And, and you just got that enthusiasm for seizing the day after your cup of coffee. And you go outside and the sun is shining and you're just built and you're robust. You're skipping off to work. 
You know, and uh, you're walking and a bird lands on your finger and a grasshopper winks at you on your shoulder and people are coming and going and you're high-fiving and you're fist-bumping and the world is your oyster and you're going to open it right up and you're going to seize the pearl, right? There's a time for that and that's all good stuff and that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has said. There's a time for that, living that way, but it's not the only time. A time is coming, a time that we are in danger of forgetting will come and come quickly. Before you know it, verse 6, the silver cord is severed, the, the golden pitcher is broken, all those valuable treasured things about life that make it vibrant and wonderful that, you know, fill out the picture that I just gave you two pictures ago. Those are all going to end. It's all going to be over. The carbon that literally makes up your literal arms and legs is going to go back to fertilizing the ground. And the spirit that came from your creator God is going to return back to him who gave it. Wow, verse 7 is so true. Vapor, breath, everything in life is so fleeting. Now, a great many people would consider the teaching here of Ecclesiastes 12 to be morbid. They'd say, well, thinking about our mortal condition is unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. It's odd. You know, I'm ready to leave this circus of Ecclesiastes. Some of you are thinking to yourself, you're saying, I don't want to hear any more of this series and this study. But the teacher's been telling us he's not the crazy one. We're the crazy ones who are out of our minds for ignoring the only certainty that we have in life. And our blissful ignorance is leading to anything but bliss. And all that denying and distracting ourselves from the reality of death. All that lack of perspective. It becomes that justification for all the insane ways that people are living while they're still alive. That's why people are trying to gain things that they cannot keep and achieve things that in the end are ultimately not going to matter. And they're worrying about things that are passing like the wind. Thinking about our mortality may be unpleasant for us at first, but we need to embrace it because it's instructive for our souls. That's what the writer's been telling us over and over again. It sort of reminds me of this dynamic I have with my kids. Sometimes my kids, you know, they're acting up, they're very anxious, they're complaining, they're yelling, they're kicking, they're fighting. And sometimes it's appropriate to put them in time out. And other times it's appropriate to put them in a time in. And sometimes I'll just go to my kid and go, you know what, my kid doesn't need to be, you know, set aside. My kid actually needs an embrace. A hug, even when they don't want it. You know, they're fighting, they're kicking, they're yelling, they're screaming, but I'll embrace them. And, you know, this passage, this book is a little bit like that uninvited hug from death. And what happens to my kids? My kids, while I'm hugging them at first, they're still kicking, they're still scratching, they might still be hitting. And then they pause. And then they take a breath. And then they embrace me back. And we need to do the same thing. My point is we need to relax, take a deep breath, and hug the reality of death back. Okay, so now I realize I'm the one that's sounding morbid. But is telling the truth and living the truth morbid? I think it's the only way to live. 
And to get us to live into that truth, the teacher knows he's got to deal with us like an unruly ox, as referenced in verse 11. And that's what we all are. Like people will say, I have a thick skull. It's hard for me to sometimes get, you know, this truth into my head so I actually know it and believe it and into my heart. And and that's not just true of some of us spiritually. From a spiritual perspective, the Bible is very clear on this. We all, to a certain degree, have a thick skull. Some of us pick up on the truths of God a little bit faster, but that's like comparing two turtles in a race. You know, some turtles are faster than other turtles, but I'm not trying to be demeaning. Our spiritual speed as human beings is the pace of a turtle. We all forget what really matters, and we get sucked into all kinds of things that don't at all. We all look and search for meaning and significance in places where it can't be located. And when we find out there's no meaning and significance in those locations, we go away, we forget, and we go back and we check again later to see if anything's changed. This is how I am when I lose things around the house. I lose things all the time. I lose my keys, I lose my wallet, I lose my phone, I lose anything that matters and I need when I need it. And, And I don't know if you've ever been there when you lose something. Have you ever checked the same place eight times? You know, it's supposed to be in that dish. It's supposed to be in that box. That's where you put it every time. So you you check it. You say, oh, it's not in there. But you're frantic through the house, checking here. You're looking in the fridge for your keys. You ever gotten that desperate? Look in the Maybe I set them down when I was getting some milk. You know, and you'll actually check the, the bin, the bin, the box eight times. Yep, still not there. Nothing's changed, right? You check the fridge three times. That's when you know you're really desperate. Nothing's changed. But... That's how we are spiritually. We're searching for meaning and significance in all these places. We find out it's not there, but we go back again just to see if it's there now in our social achievements, in finding our sense of meaning and purpose in the workplace, in self-indulgence and sin. We keep looking. That's why we're an unruly ox. And when the farmer's out there plowing the field, and he's got the ox, and the ox won't move in the right direction. Sometimes the farmer can do everything possible to get that ox to move that's friendly, that's gentle. He can pat the ox on the head. You know, he can speak sweet nothings in the ear of the ox. But sometimes the ox just won't move its fat butt. So what the farmer needs to do is to take a pointy stick. It's a goad. And shove it into the side of the ox so that the ox can get going and moving in the right direction. And so this book has done the same thing in reminding us of our here and gone existence and in the certainty of death. In response, we need to embrace what's embracing us in this book because it will move us along. And when we move along with the prodding of that pointy stick, it hurts a lot less than when we push back against it. In the end, we'll have that strong and fortified character that comes from the driving of those sturdy nails by Jesus through his word into our souls. And by embracing the reality of death, we'll also be all the more prepared for the day of judgment referenced in verses 13 and 14. Because that's what people forget. We not only forget that one day our life will end, but that one day, a day that's coming soon for all of us, We'll all be called to account for every deed, including everything we thought no one ever knew, including even the things that we've forgotten we've done, whether they are good or evil. And we do forget. 
We forget that that day's coming. We're out there at the grindstone, and we're grinding away, and we just think we'll grind away forever. We'll always be calling the shots at the office. We'll always be closing the big deal. And then before we know it, we're taking the golden handshake as the golden kick out of the office, and we're eating cheap cake at our retirement party. You know, there we are. We're at the gym. We're doing another skincare treatment. We're going on another shopping spree, and then suddenly there's no more procedures that can fix what's drooping. There's no way to dress up what's going down. <laughs> there we are. The sun is shining, and we're flying far and wide, and we're bird watching, and we're sunbathing on every exotic beach. And then suddenly, technology has changed, and we don't know how to book flights any longer on the Bluetooth-enabled implant in our brains. And we're asking our grandkids how to work it, and they're taking viral videos of us looking silly. We forget it all. We get so sucked into life, and we keep saying, we're going to figure out this church thing. We're going to figure out this spirituality thing. We're going to step into community one day. We're going to start serving our neighbors and bringing them over to our house one day. One day I'm going to get the disciplines of the scripture reading and prayer settled in my life. But then we're at the end and none of it ever came to pass. And we forgot to live in light of the judgment. We forgot from where we came and to which we are returning in the end. And that's to God. And guys, I'm right there with you. I get sucked into all of it too. I love working with my hands and I love labor and I love travel and I love watching my kids play sports and it's all good stuff. The book agrees. The book has said it's all good stuff. But if the good stuff leads us to forget the best stuff, then even the good stuff can become bad stuff. And the best stuff is this. Living aware, prepared, with an eye toward setting our values today to align with that moment when God will speak a word over the way we lived this life. For us as Christians, if you are one, you have no fear for that day because fear has to do with punishment. 1 John chapter 4 Verse 18, we've been loved in a perfect love through Jesus on the cross. That means that we're not afraid of punishment on that day of judgment. There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus absorbed those consequences upon himself on the cross. He bore the condemnation, the punishment that was due us for forgetting our Creator for not remembering to live in alignment with that day of judgment, for all those evil things that we did that people know about and the things that we kept secret. We would have had to absorb that condemnation and punishment. If you're not in Christ, you have no provision to protect you from that punishment. But because we believe in Jesus, we don't have this sense that, oh, one day I'm going to die, face God, and he's going to consign me to hell, to eternal damnation. I have before me, you have before you in Jesus, eternal life. And yet that does not mean we will, we will escape a sense of accountability for our life and actions. Don't think it means you won't be accountable for your life and actions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes the day of judgment as a time of testing with fire. That there's going to be fire applied to your life and my life. 
And there's going to be parts of our life that were significant. They were based on the truth of God. They were based on the things that last on into eternity. The things that the Word of God describes to us. And those are going to be precious materials that are going to be able to stand up to the test of that fire. And then there's going to be other things that constituted our life that were absolutely worthless and insignificant. And those things are going to be burned up. And even though the individual is saved because they're in Jesus, they're going to find out that their life wasn't worth all that much for the kingdom and the perspective of eternity. I've got to imagine if you're in that place, though you're not fearing punishment, there has to be a strong sting of regret as you watch the things that you thought were worthwhile from your life turn to dust, go up in flames. So as a Christian, I don't fear any punishment in death, but I live aware of the possibility of regret, and I don't want it. I want my life to align with Jesus. I want my work as a husband, as a father, as a community member, as a neighbor to my neighbors, as a brother or sister in this church community. I want it to stand the test. I want it to be shown I live for and in alignment with those things of eternal significance, not consumed with the things that will be one day eternally insignificant. How do we get there? Well, I'm going to leave you with three things that I believe this passage calls us into so that we can lay hold of what is eternally significant and not be consumed with those things that are eternally insignificant. Number one, remember your creator. To remember is an action. It's a call to recall. And I want you to know, being in the Word of God, Bible reading, in daily, constant prayer, that's helpful. Being here consistently on a Sunday morning, being in the homes of those who are inviting you in for community group or your discipleship group, your men's study, your women's study, that's helpful in remembering. Some people will say, man, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I've heard all the sermons. I've read the Bible. I've gone through all the church programs. I don't need it any longer. I've heard it all. I've done it all. I've seen it all. Have you remembered any of it? Have you remembered any of it? Because I've never heard it enough. I don't know how many times I've heard a message or preached a message, more or less, on the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I've never heard that sermon all the way through my life, if you know what I mean. I've heard it, but I haven't become transformed into the exact imitation of it. I've sang a lot of songs of worship, but I've never sang any songs of worship all the way through my life where my life constitutes the very things that I'm saying in their fullness. I need to sing them again. I need to hear them again because I'm always forgetting what I've remembered. And I'm always learning again what I've already learned. Remember your Creator. Don't let good things keep you from the best things. Make it your discipline, your life, to be here, to be in community, to be in worship, to be in the Word, to remember that which is significant. And as you go through the Word, and as you go through community, and as we go through studies like Ecclesiastes, this passage is inviting us to embrace the difficult teachings of God's Word. In this case, death is hugging you, hug it back. But for real, go with 
the goes in the direction of the pointy sticks, right? Move with the sharp sticks, not against them. They are for your good and for my good. You see, the Bible is filled with encouragement. It's filled with goodness. It's filled with unimaginable hope on like every single page. But it's also filled with things that are corrective and that rebuke us. And the people that can only listen to all the nice things, they're the people with some lightly embedded nails in their soul. And is it any surprise that when the weight of life is put upon them, that they sort of fall apart? Man, we need the truth. Tell it to me straight. Tell me what I need to hear. God does us no favors by concealing any truth from us. And some people might say, well, Ecclesiastes 12 is a very ugly truth. Let's clarify. Lies are ugly. And all truth is beautiful. And I want God to firmly embed every nail of truth into my soul. So as you read the Bible, if it stings, know that's revealing something in you. My two-year-old son, poor little guy, fell, got some stitches on Wednesday on his forehead. I don't think it'll be his last, knowing his patterns and behaviors. And they put antiseptic on it, right? They want to kill all the bacteria, all the bad stuff out of the wound. The antiseptic, you don't feel it on healthy skin. You only feel it when it gets in the wound. The Bible's the same way. As you read through, it doesn't sting if it's landed on healthy skin. It stings when it lands on a wound. That doesn't need, mean the Bible needs to change. That means we need to embrace what it is God is revealing through it. That's where we need to go when the goat is pointing that direction. And in this passage, how's it been pointing us? How's it, how's it been challenging us? It's been telling us to prepare for the future. When people say that, they usually mean money. They usually mean your retirement, which is uncertain. Ecclesiastes has told you, hey, you can have any, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. You have no idea what's going to happen to you this afternoon. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. I'm not telling you prepare for your future in that sense. I'm talking about the only thing that I know 100% will happen to everybody in this room alike, and it's that one day you're going to go before God. And to prepare for that future, if you don't have the provision of Jesus covering your sin, that means today, place your faith in Jesus. Because one day you will go before God, and if there's nothing that can cover you, from the fact that you have committed evil, from the fact that you have forgotten your creator, the fact that you have lived for insignificant things, if there's no one who's absorbed that penalty and condemnation for you, you will face God and his justice. But you don't have to. You don't have to have any fear in that day that's going to happen for all of us in the future because you can put your trust in Jesus, what he did upon the cross. And so you can go before God without that fear. But if you placed your faith in Jesus... If we're preparing for the future, that means living for him today. I don't know how long you'll live. I don't know which way it'll go. I don't know which fork in the road leads to this fork in the road. But I do know that your life and my life is going to be tested with fire. And you must know, like the teacher of Ecclesiastes, like I want to choose my words carefully, even more carefully, second service, because I know that they're going to be tested with fire. And I know that only the significant things are going to stand. So I've got to choose my words with care when I'm dealing with God's truth, but I've got to live my life with care. I've got a husband with care. I've got a neighbor with care. 
I've got to be a brother or sister in this community with care. I've got to be careful with my thoughts and with my actions because all of it is going to be tested. And I don't want the best thing to be standing from my life to be my words in a sermon. I want it to be the substance of my life that stands. What about for you? Prepare for the future. Prepare for your meeting with God. And one way we can do that this morning is just simply by asking Him to search our hearts and reveal to us what's really significant in our life and what's really insignificant. You know, we can talk about all this. Ecclesiastes has brought up so many things to help us think critically about what is actually significant and what is actually insignificant. But in Jesus, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who's able to guide us personally into all truth. So we're able to go before God in prayer this morning and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what's actually significant in my life. And how can I lean into that? And what are the things that maybe I'm completely absorbed with that are insignificant? They're passing. I can't reveal those things with any specificity for each one of you. But the Holy Spirit can do just that this morning if we seek Him. So let's remember Him right now. Let's listen to what He says. Even if it's challenging, we need that. We need to embrace that. Not shy away from it. Let's go before God in prayer. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, would you reveal to us in our own life right now what is of true and lasting eternal significance? What are the relationships and the disciplines and the patterns of our life that you're calling us to lean into, to make more of? And Lord, also in this time this morning, would you reveal to us what is insignificant? What's passing? What's going to be here and gone? What matters today but isn't going to matter tomorrow and isn't going to matter the day that we stand before you? What are those things that we're so consumed with on a day-to-day basis? That when they're tested with fire, they're just going to burn up. Lord, reveal to us what is significant right now. And what is insignificant. Would you just spend some time asking the Lord to reveal that in your own life. As we prepare for the day that's coming. When we'll stand before Him. Let's ask Him now what He would say. Spend some time in prayer asking the Lord these questions.
I pray that you would rise up that desire to live for what matters, to live for your kingdom, to live for the things that go on into eternity, that if you just increase our appetite, you decrease our appetite for the things that are passing, for the things that are insignificant, that seem to matter so much in this world, but it's because this world doesn't always remember you, God. It doesn't remember where it came from. It doesn't know where it's going. But Lord, we're awakened. We're aware. So help us live in light of those realities. Lord, I pray for anyone who hasn't received you, Jesus, that they place their faith and trust in you today so that they can look forward to that day, the day when they die and they go before you, that they look forward to it with no fear in their heart because your perfect love would drive out fear. Let them hand over their life to you. Let them say they believe in the work that you did upon the cross, Jesus. Let them confess that they believe you raised from the dead and that you will raise them to eternal life by your grace and not by their works. And Lord, help us to live as those who have eternity in mind. Lord, anything insignificant in our lives is just consuming us with you breathe over that blow it away like the wind God just like everything that's here and gone in Ecclesiastes that we hear about just make it go now so that we can lay hold of that which lasts do that work in my brothers and sisters and myself in these moments in Jesus name